right, good evening, class. It is 7.45. It's time to begin our Bible study. We're going to begin in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to study the Word of God. Pray for open hearts, open eyes, open ears. Let us be receptive to what we hear. Give us understanding and wisdom in all these things. Let it take root. Let it bear fruit. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, spiritual gifts, part two, takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week, we were in Romans chapter 12. We talked about the different perspectives on spiritual gifts. We talked a little bit about those who believe spiritual gifts have ceased. We talked about why we believe spiritual gifts did not cease, but were intended to continue. We talked a little bit about some of the uh, reasons why spiritual gifts may uh, uh, not be as prevalent as they once were in the Pentecostal movement. And then towards the end of class, we focused on trying to Uh, make sure that uh, we understood the role that faith and service played in the manifestation of spiritual gifts. Uh, Did anyone want to, did anyone have anything from last week that you needed clarified or any questions left over from something we talked about last week? All right, well, tonight we're going to move forward. We're turning our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. All right, we'll stop there. We'll go over the first section here in your notes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 1 through 11. And Paul makes it very clear that spiritual gifts are not a matter that the church or its members should be ignorant concerning. 
And we were, I think we were talking a little bit last week about, you know, how many believers, how many Christians grow up in churches or, or come out of churches that do very little or no teaching on spiritual gifts. And I'm not simply talking about the non-Pentecostal churches. You, you wouldn't expect a Baptist or Presbyterian church to spend a lot of time teaching on spiritual gifts since, you know, the majority of those churches uh, don't believe that they are for the present day church. And yet, even Pentecostal churches, churches that believe in the continuation of the gifts, spend very, very little time actually teaching or preaching on the gifts. They're kind of put into a a category of sort of uh, uh, you know you you just you just kind of go with whatever feels right or the spirit will lead you. But and and I don't deny that sometimes the the spirit will certainly lead us and teach us and guide us. But notice how Paul begins this whole section on this spiritual matter by saying there is no reason or desire why the church should be ignorant concerning these things. And I think if we were to go back to one of the questions we had last week, why do we see so few manifestations in comparison to previous generations uh, from whether it's the Church of the New Testament times or the early days of the Pentecostal movement uh, or to more recent generations of revivals, I would say that we could put the name we could put on that list of reasons why we see fewer and fewer manifestations. We could put the answer of ignorance. The ignorance of spiritual gifts not only leads to their absence, but also leads to their abuse. And it is the absence and the abuse of spiritual gifts which kind of works together to create the crisis of, of, of the Pentecostal generation of today. So uh, this issue of ignorance is a real one, and uh, the fact that we don't talk about it or teach about it or preach about it on a regular basis does uh, open the door uh, for you know, different ideas or different philosophies to take root, and like anything else, any other doctrine in the Scriptures, all the doctrine that we've talked about this year uh, is to be taught and be taught regularly and to be taught consistently for the very purpose of preventing errors and heresies and neglect and abuse from uh, taking root and from taking uh, uh, these gifts and these doctrines uh, and 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 corrupting them, perverting them, twisting them. Uh, the fact that there is a great deal of ignorance concerning spiritual gifts, even among Pentecostals, is what keeps, uh, I think, a lid on so many things that the Holy Spirit really does want to do in the church. So the context here in chapter 12, if you know your, if you know your Corinthians, uh, you know that Paul has uh, 
been addressing a couple of issues at the going on in the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had a very high percentage of Gentile conversions there. Thank God, praise God for the Gentiles coming in. But the Gentiles, unlike the Jews, the Gentiles were coming in out of a very um, loose, <laughs> I guess would be a good word for it, very loose moral culture. And they were also coming in, many of them, having been converted from some of the cults, the various pagan cults that you know Corinth was known for. If you if you read a description, some of your Bibles will have a little, maybe a little thing at the beginning of the, each book or at the end of the, each book that tells you a little bit about the book or describes the people the book was written to. You read the one about Corinth, you find out that Corinth was kind of known. Uh, I don't know what the modern comparison would be, maybe a Las Vegas, a New Orleans. It was it was a party town. It was it was a place to get you know to to get your party on, and all those people that were coming to Christ were coming with a lot of uh, I guess we'd call it baggage, a lot of practices and a lot of ways of doing things that uh, were considered spiritual by the culture, but were certainly not from the Spirit of God. And so a lot of what he writes in 1 Corinthians, particularly if you go to chapter uh, 11, he talks about the uh, beginning, beginning of chapter 11, but end of chapter 10, he starts talking about the public uh, worship of the church. Chapter 9, he talks about the feasts, the, 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 the celebrations, the festivals, the eating of meats at, at certain festivals that were very popular. I think, I think we're coming up on, you know, Halloween and uh, we got Thanksgiving after that. We got Christmas, New Year's. Well, you know, in Corinth, they would have festivals, holidays, those kind of things all the time for the different gods, the different uh, deities that were worshipped in the city. And so Paul is writing to the to the <laughs> Corinthians about how to how to if they're out and about during these festivals, what to what they can partake in, what they can't partake in. Uh, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, and then he starts to transition into uh, not bringing that culture or that way of doing things into the church itself. But uh, and that's the kind of the basis of why he goes into spiritual gifts here in chapter twelve, and he says uh, very pointedly, and we're going to, you know, the, I give you the breakdown all the time, but every gift, every uh, ministry, everything we do in the church has to has to check three boxes, right? You know, everybody knows the boxes that we have to check. It has to exalt Jesus Christ, has to edify the church, has to evangelize the lost. And you'll see that criteria laid out in chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. I didn't just make it up. That's not just a, a thing I came up with. You'll see it very clearly in Paul's writing here as he gives the Corinthians a sort of series of measuring sticks by which to judge the appropriateness of their worship and their service and the spiritual manifestations that are taking place. And he makes reference here to no one 
under the influence of the Spirit of God, calling Jesus accursed. And no one under a demonic spirit influence will call Jesus Lord. So he sets very early, he sets the tone right at the beginning that any spiritual manifestation, the rule number one of every spiritual manifestation to determine whether it is truly of the Holy Spirit is that it must exalt Jesus Christ. It must exalt Jesus Christ not only in the gift itself, but the way that the gift is operated. And obviously, you know, we could, we can kind of, and maybe you've seen this, maybe somebody wants to share, but, you know, it seems like a lot of times various manifestations that we do see in the church um, seem to draw more attention to the one who's manifesting than they do to the person of Jesus Christ or the work of Jesus Christ. And so we want to make sure that criteria that Paul establishes right here at the beginning of this chapter is always chief in our minds. Whatever manifestation it is, no matter how how uh, uh, miraculous it seems to be or or how, how, you know, how wonderful it seems to be, if it does not exalt the name of Jesus Christ, it is not of the Holy Spirit. Do I have any comments or questions or concerns thus far? Uh, no, Pastor, maybe this is um, off, a little bit off topic, but... Um, the, the fruit of the spirit. What role does it play in the um, if it plays? Uh, what role, if any, it plays in the, the gifts of the spirit? Well, Paul will tie the gifts to the fruit in chapter thirteen when he begins to talk about love okay. as okay. the basis of all the gifts. Now. I would just say before we get there, just to say in, in sort of preview when we, of what we will talk about when we get there, some people read 1 Corinthians 13 as sort of an either-or. You can either do the spiritual gifts, or you can just love everybody, and love will accomplish what the spiritual gifts would accomplish if you were using them. I don't think that's Paul's intention there. Paul's intention is that the spiritual gifts be motivated by and be ministered in the spirit of love. Uh, and if you wanted, again, if you wanted to add another item to that checklist we're making of why we see fewer and fewer manifestations, it, we, we could talk a lot about the lack of love, the lack of concern that we have for one another, the lack of care that we have for one another, you know, and, and you've heard me talk about it in the past. I know I kind of sound like a, a broken record on a lot of these items, but, um, you know, the, the, the modern attitude uh, towards people who come to church is predominantly very self-involved. I'm coming to get my blessing, or I'm coming to do my thing. I'm coming, you know, to... to to, you know, perform my worship. And we don't really have 
as strong a sense of community and interdependence that you know the church should have or that it was once common and once known for and i don't know if we want to blame you know the culture if we want to blame modern times if we want to blame the the me generation or the i generation or whatever but that lack of awareness and that lack of concern for each other and that lack of you know i think i don't know if it was you or someone someone asked a question last week about why we see so few people willing to serve willing to work willing to do anything and you know there's a lot there's a lot to unpack in all of that but you know on the very on the surface the first thing we look at is that self-centered self-involved self-important attitude that is so stifling and quenching to the work of the spirit in the body of Christ if we can't truly uh truly love each other and desire to be of some use when when someone's in need when someone's hurting when someone is sick when someone is going through a hard time you know it should spark in the body of Christ uh a a compassion and a love that 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 drives us to the place where we are calling on the Lord calling on the spirit to use us to make us the instrument or the vessel of that person's healing or you know give that person some word of advice some counsel some word of wisdom or knowledge that would help them and without that love without that compassion without that concern uh spiritual gifts become very much a self-indulgent activity and the spirit will not uh the holy spirit does not really uh want to get involved at that point that's when it, that's when you start to see it degrade into the manipulations and the the the, the human spirit manifestations that have become prevalent all right the next thing paul talks about is while there is a great variety of manifestations a very a great difference of manifestations he wants to again he doesn't remember we talked about ignorance and and you know people carrying their sort of cultish pagan ideas over into the church well in the pagan world in the cultish world uh you had a separate god or a, a separate uh uh place of worship or a separate type of sacrifice for each and every aspect of of life. So, you know, in the pagan world if you needed healing, you would go to one particular deity because that deity specialized in healing. If if you needed a financial blessing, you'd go to a different deity. If you needed advice on your marriage, you'd go to a different deity. There was a different spirit for each activity or each gift or each thing that that you might need and Paul wants to make sure we understand that that is not the way it is in the church there's every gift regardless of the variety or the 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 difference in how that gift operates or what that gift is for 
every gift comes from the same God. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are all mentioned here in, in chapter 12 as being the authors of uh, and the, the, the bestowers of and the operators of every gift that the church has. There's not one spirit for healing, one spirit for prophecy, a different spirit for tongues and interpretation, but it's the same spirit working in each and every gift according to the need, according to the faith of the manifestation, the one manifesting. So we, we see this a little bit sometimes in Pentecostal uh, worship where you know, we'll sometimes we'll not really, and it's not as prevalent maybe as it once was there. I, I remember it was a few years ago, but I remember if there was a, a sort of mini uh, craze, if you will, about uh, angels and welcoming angels into church and how some angels were good for this and some angels were good for that. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, that was all very, uh, <laughs> that was all quite unscriptural and quite dangerous. And the idea that, you know, different angels, people try to, well, you know, try to figure out what angel does what, and you can, you can command the angels to do this and command the angels to do that. And I, I don't even know if, if anybody listening to me now even remembers this or, or heard about this or got him over this. Uh, I, I certainly shut it down very quickly at Lighthouse, didn't allow any of it here. So hopefully you never even had to deal with it. But it kind of became a thing for a little while. And, and that's a, just an example of what not to do. The Holy Spirit will run the program. He'll run the show. He'll decide how, when, where, who, and what. And, uh, you know, it's not to try to figure out, okay, let's figure out what spirit, what angel is uh, the best to go to when we need uh, when we need healing? We don't need to do that. We go to God, and God handles all the business of the church and all the business of the kingdom. And and if He wants to dispatch an angel to do something, that's His business, but uh, not our business. And so, uh, certainly, Paul's argument would even take it a step further. He would. He would argue, and he would argue rightly, that the so-called spirits or angels behind all these different things in the cults and in the pagans were not angels at all, but rather demons. And he even says that earlier in First Corinthians. He talks about the, these spiritual beings, these idolatrous beings, are, are demonic forces, demonic entities. And so we want to be very careful and recognize that while there's a great variety of things that we might see manifested in the church, it's all from the same Spirit of God. Do I have any comments, questions, or concerns on this? No, Pastor, I don't have any concern. I would just add to that in terms of the same, the same Spirit um, doing the work of diff different manifestations. If you look at our body, 
um, we could make an, I think I could make a comparison with the one, our body, our physical body. And Paul mentioned this, I think in Corinthians, we have one body, but we have different, different um, things in the body. We have the hand, the feet, the hair, and they all, they all attach the body that does, does the work. If you separate the finger from the body, then the finger won't do the work for, the, for your body because it's not there. So I, 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 I understand and I accept the fact that no matter what sort of a spiritual gift the Lord allows us to, to, to demonstrate, it is all coming from the same source, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what I would have, add to that. Amen. I, I, like, you know, I like that illustration. And, uh, you know, the spiritual gifts, they do come from the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, and therefore the benefit of the whole church. And uh, all the manifestations come from that same source. And there are, you know, he does talk about a great variety. Now he mentions nine specific manifestations. Uh, my understanding here is these manifest, these, these, the nine that he mentions are intended to be uh, representative of all the types of manifestations that the Spirit might perform in the church and not necessarily, uh, I don't think it's necessarily that he's, he's limiting the Spirit to only these nine manifestations. As a matter of fact, we see in the other list from Peter, uh, in Romans chapter 12, Peace chapter 4, we see some other things mentioned. But as a representative group, these nine do cover uh, basically the, the general ways in which the Holy Spirit does operate in the church. Uh, and we can talk about any individual gift that you want to talk about, certainly. Uh, but we want to understand that the differences, the variety is is based upon the function of the gift and not its value or its origin. Um, the idea here is not that one gift is better than another, but that we should expect the right gift for the right circumstance. Um, you know, a word of wisdom may be useful in a lot of circumstances, but maybe not necessarily useful in every circumstance. Uh, you know, the gift of healing is a great gift, but if nobody is sick, or if the problem facing the church is not one of sickness, but if the problem facing the church is of, of to make a certain decision about what the church is to do, the gift of healing is not the appropriate gift for that circumstance. So the variety is... It anticipates that the church will face many, many different kinds of circumstances and that the Spirit of God is able to meet all of these circumstances that the church might face through the various uh, variety of manifestations that he is he's going to share and pour out in the church. Um, and so that, you know, that puts us in a, should put us in a different frame of mind 
that rather than to seek one specific gift exclusively, we should seek uh, and should ask the Holy Spirit to give the gift that is best suited for the particular circumstance that we are dealing with at a given moment. Now, let me say this. Depending on which list you're reading from, so again, we're, our text tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This list of nine that are given, let me, let's, let's identify the nine representative that Paul gives. He talks about, in verse 7, this is a manifestation of the Spirit. All right? So all of these gifts that he mentioned, that he mentions in the following verses, are supernatural in origin. These are not human abilities that are being amplified or being being magnified by the Spirit. These gifts are supernatural gifts. They come not out of us, but out of Him, out of the Godhead themselves. And so when you talk about a word of wisdom, right, or you're talking about a word of knowledge, or talking about faith, we are talking about gifts of healing, or miracles, or prophecy, or discerning of spirits, or tongues, or the interpretation of tongues. We are talking about all of these in a supernatural sense. The word of wisdom is going to be a supernatural word of wisdom. It's not going to be because you went, and by all means, please, if this is what God, if God's called you to be a counselor, you should get all the education and knowledge that you can. You can, you know, the, 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 you, if God's given you a, an empathy and a, an ability to connect to people and an ability to sense what people are feeling and sense what people uh, are, are, are hurting and you have a way of helping those people, you should. But this is not, this gift that Paul identifies here is not the gift of counseling. In other words, it's not the gift that you, you might be called to be a counselor. You might have a natural gift from God to be an effective counselor. But this is a supernatural word of wisdom. This comes from God knowing things that you don't know about a situation, seeing what you don't see, perceiving something that you don't perceive, and giving you a wisdom to share that... Uh, quite often, when it manifests, may actually end up being contrary to uh, the, the, the collective wisdom of, of, of human beings. Uh, and so in those instances, we'll be given a, 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 a sort of a direct line into the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit is giving us a wisdom to operate or giving us a, a word of knowledge about a, such, uh, about a circumstance where there may be. I, I think this word of knowledge, I think of Peter uh, in, in confronting Ananias and Sapphira. How did he know they were not giving the full amount? Where did he get that knowledge? Where, how did he perceive that? That was the Holy Spirit. Uh, showing him something 
telling him something, revealing something to him that he would not have otherwise understood or known through natural means. So I want to emphasize in this list, we are talking about supernatural, from God, spiritual uh, uh, empowerments for the church to minister to very specific situations. A, a spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. Uh, I, I say this a lot to people. I, I thank God for uh, our doctors, our, our nurses, those in the medical field, and the skills they have to, to help the body heal itself, to, to, to perform the surgeries, to, to develop the medicines that help our body fight disease and, and to deal with various things. This, this is a great thing a great calling to have, a great service to render to humanity. But this is not the type of healing that Paul is describing in this passage here. What he's describing here, one does not need a medical degree or any medical training to operate this gift. This is God himself healing the Spirit himself healing someone through uh, the, the, the living sacrifice that's offered to him by, by whoever the gift is manifesting through. It's supernatural work. And uh, sometimes, you know, there are certain situations where we say, okay, if, you know, was it was, and I've said this in the past, this is something you've probably heard me say before, you know, if taking a pill can cure it, or if having an operation can cure it, then it's it's of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. It's you know if it, it, but sometimes things happen in our bodies or are spill over to our bodies that come from the spiritual realm. And for these type of things, there is no pill. There is no prescription. There is no surgical procedure. These are things that because they're spiritual in origin. Uh, even though they're manifesting physically, they require a spiritual cure. And that's what the gift of healing or the gift of miracles or the gift of faith is for. Supernatural remedies for supernatural concerns. So Paul concludes this portion by saying that in verse 11, that it, the Spirit of God distributes the gifts at his own discretion and that every member of the body is eligible to receive a gift or gifts from the spirit. So these gifts are not reserved for a special group of people. They're not the exclusive property of ministers or evangelists or pastors or prophets they're not, you don't have to have a certain number of years of service. You know, it's not like a, a seniority business where, okay, after, you know, after 10 years of faithful serving the Lord, you might get a spiritual gift. It's nothing like that. Every person who is saved, every person who is part of the church, every person who's open and sensitive and 
willing to allow themselves to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit can be chosen by the Spirit to receive or manifest a spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, Paul argues in the next group of verses, we won't read them, but he argues that sometimes the Spirit chooses people in the church precisely because they are not part of the uh, the ministry teams or because they're not, you know, the the elders or the leaders of the church. He, he takes some people who might otherwise be uh, sort of forgotten or sort of uh, invisible in the body, and he uses them to operate spiritual gifts just to remind us <laughs> that no one is irrelevant to the body of Christ and, and that no one is... Uh, uh, irreplaceable in the body of Christ. If, you know, I think of what, you know, my, I guess my favorite illustration on this one, you've probably heard me use a hundred times is, is Balaam's donkey, right? Uh, you know, before we get too, before we get too full of ourselves and thinking that the Holy Spirit, you know, chose me to operate a spiritual gift, we should remember that at one time he chose a donkey, an animal to, uh, <laughs> to give a word of knowledge and wisdom to, to the prophets. So it's good to be chosen, and anyone can be. There's no prerequisite other than being saved and having the Spirit dwelling within you. Uh, but there's also it's also not a matter of our own will or choice. I know we got into this a little bit last Wednesday night, so I won't go too far down this road, but... You don't own the gift. It's not your possession. It's not your personal property. The gift is, since it's a supernatural gift, it is by necessity, by definition, it has to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's power overshadows you, when he, when he begins to use you, uh, he will choose the way to use you. You can certainly ask seek and desire a specific gift, but ultimately it is the Spirit who will choose how to uh, speak through you or how to use your faith for the edification of the body. The unity of the body is found in our common salvation, sanctification, baptism by the Spirit, and we need one another to remain whole and effective in Christ's service. The diversity of the body is based on the variety of functions necessary to make the body whole and are designed to elevate to equality those members of the body which would ordinarily be devalued due to their lack of stature within the community. Since no individual can perform all the functions necessary to maintain the body, no individual has all the gifts of the Spirit. Let me just address that for just a moment. I know that we have the sense today, and I talked a little bit about this earlier, the the self-centered, self-involved attitude that seems to be uh, present among some in the body of Christ today. You would almost... And some of them might even go this far. As a matter of fact, I may have heard this from 
one or two people over the course of my ministry. I don't know if you have, Reverend, but some people have argued with me, why do I need the church? I believe in Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus saves me. I don't need the church. I don't need the body. I can function uh, in faith. I can function as a Christian all by myself. And whether they say that out loud, some people seem to be living in such a way as they as to to make that the attitude most likely for them to have. Paul's argument here is you need the body because no individual in the body has all of the necessary gifts or talents or abilities to keep the body whole. None of us can, and I've, I've thought about this a lot <laughs> in my ministry, and uh, Reverend, uh, you know, jump in here if you recognize this feeling. Over the years, I can't even begin to number how many people I've prayed for, made intercession for, put my laid hands on, uh, and praise be to God, seeing God work and move in quite a number of their lives and do miraculous things. It's, it's one of the joys of ministry. Yet it seems like when I have a situation in my own body, or I have a situation in my own life, my prayers seem rather useless. You know, I don't seem to be able to operate at the same level of faith or gifting for myself as I can for others. And that sort of forces me uh, to, to, to depend upon and to go to uh, the body of the church with the need because, you know, I don't have uh, all of the gifts that I, uh, to use for my own self-benefit. And I need, I need the church to uh, step in in specific situations where I am unable to do for myself what the church can do for me through the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I will testify to this truth that we all need every member of the body of Christ to maintain a healthy and whole uh, life in Christ, at least as long as we're, we're in this body, as long as we're in this world. Do I have any questions or comments on that? Well, Pastor, I've been there with you too myself sometimes. As a pastor, finds myself finds it inadequate for me to 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 look out for myself in terms of my needs, and so this is why we need the church. Because if I understand the the scriptures right, the gifts don't operate individually outside the church. It's the gifts given inside the church. So one needs to be in the church in order to fulfill that requirement of, of the gifts operating in them. So I've heard folks say, well, and, and, and I'm glad that you went back to ownership, because that's one thing that that I have found in in my walk and in my travels, is that there are some folks who have actually decided that they hold especially the gift of healing, you know? <laughs> and I find that strange, because... We we don't hone any of these gifts. It is God, as we as we apply ourselves 
we need to know that there has to be an application of ourselves to give ourselves to the Holy Spirit so, so God can um, use us um, and allow us to use the gifts in the church. So I've been there also, and I thank God for the church that I can reach out to in those times to help me through those moments. Amen. Amen to that. Paul concludes chapter 12. What I think, again, remember we, we, started, we started this talking about how ignorance is detrimental to the operation of spiritual gifts and how the church needs to teach regularly uh, and disciple people on spiritual gifts so that they are put in their proper context and not subject to abuse or neglect, as the case may be. And one of the things that needs, that is really not taught and needs to be in the modern Pentecostal movement, and, and maybe your experience has been different, Reverend, but this has been mine. Paul concludes chapter 12 by reminding the church that spiritual gifts do not do not take precedence over the God-given order for the church. Spiritual gifts do not overthrow God-ordained order and government of the church. Certainly if that order and government is out of God's will, spiritual gifts may be used to bring the church back into the will of God. But Paul makes it clear that these gifts do not supplant the teachings of the apostles or the prophets who gave us the word of God. These spiritual gifts do not supplant the ordained order or, or the ordained ministry of teaching. This is not a matter of, well, I have a spiritual gift, so I don't need to be subject or in submission. I have a spiritual gift, so I'm better than the one who's been appointed by God to lead the church. And that attitude does crop up. I, I'm grateful here at Lighthouse. I don't think we've really ever seen any serious manifestation of that, but I do know and have seen with my own eyes certain places where some people under the supposed influence of the Spirit have tried to uh, sort of muscle the pastor or the, the leaders of the church uh, into submission. And it's got to be the other way around. Spiritual gifts edify the body. They, they exalt Jesus Christ. They edify the body, but they do not replace any of the God-given ordained ministries appointed to those who are called to lead, called to pastor, called to be the, the, uh, the order and the discipline in the church. And now you say, well, pastor, that doesn't sound, I mean, spiritual gifts, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of shooting from the hip. That's kind of anything goes that, you know, well, you know, Paul's point is just the opposite. When properly used, when properly manifested, spiritual gifts form a critical part of the overall 
order and discipline of the church. They're designed to function within the framework that God has given for the church and under submission to the leadership appointed by God in the church. Now, some people, you know, are very resistant to being corrected. I don't know if you've ever had to correct anybody, Pastor, who was manifesting his spiritual gifts. It's an uncomfortable thing to do. I've always, whenever I've had to do it, I've always tried to do it very privately. I've always tried to take them aside and, you know, encourage them, say thank you for, you know, your exuberance and your enthusiasm, but this is not, you know, in order for this particular service or this is not the way to do this And when we're doing this kind of thing. Uh, and, and, of course, people get very offended. <laughs> you know, they think you're, they think you're Satan trying to steal, you know, steal their ministry, steal their gift. But, you know, God has given an order to the church. He's given a government to the church. Spiritual gifts are part of it and are to work with, with in, in cooperation with that order that God has given. But this idea that spiritual gifts take precedence or replace or supplant God-given authority, Paul rebukes here at the end of chapter 12. Do I have any comments or, or questions on this part? Well, one one needs to remember that um, there always is order, and um, there should not be confusion, even when the gifts are being manifest in the church. That's why um, we, we we have to understand what you're saying in terms of um, that the gifts, you know, does not take precedent over the, the order of the other ministry that God has given to the church. So I've certainly had the experience of having to correct um, others too. And I, I like you to try to do it privately so that, you know, um, there's no hurt. And of course, uh, some folks walk away feeling like pastor thinks he knows his heart. <laughs> it's a matter of keeping order and keeping it in line with what the scripture teaches. And... You know, Paul will deal with this more so in chapter 14 when we get there. But there's always a danger, and I think we have to keep in mind. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll save chapter 13 and 14 for next week. I know we're getting low on time, but we have to remember that while spiritual gifts are of a great benefit and blessing within the body when used properly, uh, they can be very... Uh, disruptive and even become a hindrance or an obstacle in the body, particularly when um, the unsaved or the lost are present. Now, God has ordained that the lost be won by the hearing of the Word of God. And certainly that can happen through prophecy or, 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 or <laughs> tongues and interpretation in certain situations. But that's not the primary means. The primary means is through the preaching of the word by someone who is called and appointed and, and sent to preach the gospel. And should spiritual manifestations accompany the preaching of the gospel? They should. Should they replace? And I think you understand what I'm talking about. We've, and and I, I feel weird for 
you know, sometimes I kind of feel like I'm always the guy that's, I, I get, I, I guess I get the feeling I'm always the guy that's trying to, to, uh, to, to ruin everybody's party. Uh, we all love the service when it comes where everybody just has a good time in Jesus. And there's manifestations everywhere and people falling out everywhere and people jumping and da- dancing and laughing and crying. Those are wonderful. I would never want to see that go away from the church. Those are wonderful times of refreshing and, and just a recharging of our spiritual batteries. But if every service was like that, if, if there was never any preaching, remember, uh, I don't know how, how you guys grew up. I grew up. We always knew it was a really good service if there was no preaching. And that, that's always struck me as very odd, you know? How was service? Oh, it was great. The preacher didn't even get to preach. Well, uh, okay. You know, once in a while, that's great. Once in a while, we should have just a, a good time in the Lord. But, you know, God has ordained that the word be preached whenever the saints are gathered together. So, and especially when the lost are present. And so, I, you know, I'm not trying to, 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 to cancel the party or keep people from enjoying themselves in church or getting a blessing by all means. You know, we need uh, to feel the presence of God and enjoy the presence of God, but we need to remind ourselves. And it's really, you know, it falls to the pastors and the leaders to sort of enforce the order and enforce the rules because the overall concern is that the body be edified and that Christ be exalted and that the loss be evangelized. And we can't forget that's a critical part. And I thank God last, last few Sundays here at Lighthouse, we've had one or two people come in who are, who are seeking, who are, who are hungry, uh, who are looking for answers who are looking for God, they're checking us out to see if if what we have to say is 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 real. And I would certainly, if if the Holy Spirit wanted to manifest or did manifest in that service, I would certainly allow that to happen. But I would not lose sight that there's someone in our midst who that might not be something they've ever seen before. And while it might excite them or draw them in, it might also you know, make them think that, wow, these, these are really fanatics. Yeah, I got, I, this isn't for me. And so we do have to use, and this is where the Spirit helps us. This is where the Holy Spirit really helps pastors and helps leaders in these moments to know how far to let things go, when to say, okay, we're going to move forward, when, you know, when, we're, when to say, okay, it's time for the Word, not out of any desire to quench the Spirit, but so that the full purpose of why the Spirit is present in the church can be fulfilled, which is to draw people to Jesus Christ. So uh, there, must, there must be a balance and an order, and it's up to those appointed by uh, God to lead to maintain that balance and that order. 
All right. Any other thoughts? Any other questions? Any comments on anything from Chapter 12 tonight? I just want to say that I actually had a pastor um, back in the days, you know, when I just started um, in the church, who'd actually stop the folks if they're carrying on too much and would actually tell them to sit down because um, he wants to hear the word and faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he'd actually stop them if, 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 he, if in his, in his uh, opinion or in his, in his, his, in his preferred um, thinking. Or, and he, look, he said, when I look at the word of God, I don't see what, you, what, what you're doing coinciding with what's supposed to happen. So he'd actually tell them to um, sit down, you know, so the word can be preached and you could hear the word. Yeah, there's a there's a holy boldness in that, brother, that I that I admire. Um, you know, I, I I don't know that I've ever called anybody out publicly like that. Maybe I have. I don't remember if I have or not. But um, yeah, you. I have said, and and I've done this a few times, that you know you use you use a little wisdom. You say, okay, what a great time, God, or what a great move of God is happening, or what a, you know, you, you, you sort of transition. <laughs> you know, wow, the Holy Spirit's really, really uh, blessing us today, uh, and he's going to keep on blessing us. We're going to get into the Word. And, and you try to be diplomatic about it, uh, but yes, if, if they fight you, <laughs> if they insist on continuing on, no matter what you're doing, uh, then you might not have any choice. You might have to say, okay, uh, brother, sister, um, you know, or you might, that's where you have a couple of good deacons. That's, that's what God give us deacons for. <laughs> Get a couple of good deacons to come along either side of them and kind of, kind of, uh, lead them out of the church or lead them to a back room or lead them somewhere where they can, they can carry on, uh, and leave everybody else in peace. And that's, uh, and that's something, you know, we all got to be aware. We got to have a sensitivity. If what we're doing is only blessing us and not anybody else, it's not really intended to be done in the public service. In the public service, remember what we talked about last week. The gifts that are operating in the church, when the church is assembled, have to be of practical use and value. They have to contribute something to the whole body. No gift is just for private and personal use. And so um, I think, you know, I think we all understand that. I think we've done, done enough on that. But if anybody else has a comment or, or question, please, uh, you can, uh, you can jump in. Well, they're used, to, they're used and they should, when that, when, when they manifest in the church, they should do, should edify the body. That's the old thing about using the, the gifts working in the church. It should be for the education of the church and not just for our own personal, you know, self. Amen. And I would say this. Not all problems are equal. <laughs> I, I would I would love to have I would I would love to have a crack at telling some people to settle down. Our our problem is I think our problem is on the other side of the spectrum. 
we can't seem to get too many people fired up. So, um, you know, I guess it's, uh, you know, Peter and Paul, uh, Rob wanted to pay the other, but uh, certainly spiritual gifts are welcome. I welcome them. I ask God to move every time, every service by prayers, you know, God move in our midst, manifest yourself, show yourself uh, to your church and, and help your church today. And that's, I think that's what we're here to do. We're here to experience the presence of the Lord uh, and to, through that presence, to worship him and to minister to one another and to reach those that are still lost in this world. All right. That's all we got time for tonight. We'll come back and, and put a bow on it next Wednesday night. Father, we thank you for the opportunity tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gifts. You're a giving God. You're a gracious God. You love your people. And you give them the very best of you and the very best of what you have to offer them. And I pray that we would have a receptive spirit, that we receive the gifts and honor the one who gives them by using them for their intended purposes. Make yourself known to us and manifest in our midst when we are together, Father. Let your spirit have free reign to do what he claims to do every time we are assembled in the name of your son, Jesus. We pray for those, God, who are not feeling well tonight, who might be in the hospital, might be in rehab. We pray for those tonight who may be cut off or alone at home, feeling like they are, they're, they're, they're no longer even part of the body of Christ. We put them before your throne tonight. We ask you to minister to them right where they are. Touch their bodies, touch their hearts, their spirits, their minds. Renew, revive, refresh. Save the lost. Sanctify the saved, Father. Use us all for your service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everyone. We'll talk with you next Wednesday night. You have a good evening. Good night. been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. Or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.